Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast. This is Mark Uessa. This is Daniel Winter, and we're delighted to be joined by a special guest all the way from Quebec, uh, Amanda Valeron. Hey, hi, y'all. Hi, Thanks welcome. for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. We're very excited to talk about your game, uh, your game designer, and yes. uh, we'll, we'll definitely be talking about with a smile and a gun before long. But, uh, you know, we, we love talking about games here. And hopefully you'll you'll like to tell us the types of yes. games you enjoy isn't, as isn't well. Isn't talking about games the best? <laughs> it's almost as good as playing games. Almost. Right <laughs> next to it. There's you know, a couple of years where playing games was a little harder to come by. So yeah, <laughs> talking exactly. about games and next thing. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I feel like I'm just coming back to the stage of playing games. So yeah, I'm right there. Uh, Amanda, could you start us off? What, what's been, yeah, uh, I just, what's been on your uh, table? So this weekend, there was a local uh, game convention, a very small thing uh, around here in the Montreal suburbs. So I got to play a bunch of games. Uh, the highlight of the weekend for me was I discovered this game called Planet Unknown. I don't know if mm, you do have yeah. a match to play that. No, I haven't. Please tell us. It's a... Polyomino game. It's uh, you know exploring a planet. You place down your tiles, and uh, it's uh, patchwork esque. Uh, but it's mixed with like a tech tree where you go based on which tile you place down. You go up on a tree, and uh, you have like asymmetric boards that aren't square, which is an interesting uh, thing. That was a, a, a interesting um, discovery I made. Uh, I had never heard about that game before. I think I can vaguely picture the box. Yeah, but this that sounds familiar. Sounds now. exciting. It gave me some yeah. terraforming Mars vibes from what I little I can see of it. It is not at all the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that was uh, my thing. I think I think I because it came out in a similar time. I think I confused that one and um, Search for Planet X. That's, that's what I was thinking. Right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that was a very uh, a very interesting one. Uh, was uh, my uh, discovery of the con. Excellent. What about you two? Oh, I, I guess I'll get us started because. I never play board games. I don't even know why I'm on this podcast, to be <laughs> honest. I only play video games. Okay. But I have been enjoying myself playing a couple of very different games from each other. Uh, I've been playing this uh, brand new game called Dreamlight Valley, I think it's called. It's, I guess it's the Disney license, and it's kind of like Stardew Valley, get it? Mm-hmm. Valley meets Disney Universe. Basically, you're farming, you're exploring, you're making friends with Goofy and Scrooge McDuck, and it's very silly, but it's it's kind of sucking me in. It's it's pretty wild. Who knows if we're going to be talking about this uh, in depth uh, for a future episode? But there's something there that's uh, that's grabbing me. Yeah, I don't want to spoil too much of my thoughts because I think we might be discussing this more. I've I've put a couple of hours into it. Uh, I'm not quite sure if there's enough there there yet it's it feels very sort of mobile very much the trappings of a mobile game meets sort of animal crossing uh but it it, it seems cute so far uh looking forward to meeting some of the the various characters my daughter has liked watching that she's big into to mickey right now still still trying to hunt down Minnie mouse that's that's her favorite so (laughs) i'm gonna gonna grind away at that uh for her sake oh Minnie's coming there's a whole quest to find her (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty I mean, cool. If you play video games at all, or are you mostly uh, an analog gamer? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have. I've been uh, falling back into the Baba is You hole. Ooh. Oh, cool. Have either of you played that? No. I'm, I'm quite familiar with it. I've not tried it myself, though. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really weird uh, like puzzle game where uh, the rules are on screen and there are items you can interact with. 
it, it plays with assumptions in a really weird way where sometimes there, you see walls, but if the rule wall is stop is not there, walls don't actually do anything. And so it, 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 it's a really confusing thing that you have to kind of play only a bit at a time. You can't really get lost in. Uh, otherwise, you go kind of mad, which I guess <laughs> is a good thing for me because I tend to just get sucked into those things. Uh, so yeah. it's kind of like a, a meta meta game, oh, like yeah, a game 100%. designer's game. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a point. It's, it's like a logic puzzle. Uh, sorry, logic word puzzle, but where you're physically pushing the words around the, the sort of a, a map to try and yeah, exactly. form sentences, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like the more you've played puzzle games before, the more at a disadvantage you are because it breaks <laughs> all those molds. It's a really, it's a really interesting uh, trip for sure. I think I've, I, I just break my brain on it though. I've, I've seen, yeah. like, I've seen enough of it to know that I, I just, I'd, I'd, I'd really struggle wrapping my head around that logic. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we just we open it and, um, uh, like my partner would would call out for me and like, come, come, come! I finally figured it out. And like after spending like an hour in front of the computer, just <laughs> look. I think if you do this, oh, okay, yeah. But yeah, it, it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing. I can see it being the sort of game where if you can't beat it, you just go to bed thinking about that puzzle. The exactly. Whole time. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> that sounds pretty great. I think Daniel and I are fans of little indie games that, uh, especially the ones that bring something new to the table. So I'm, I'm very yeah. intrigued by that. I have a copy on my steam account. I should boot up for <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. How about yourself, Daniel? What, what have you been playing of late? Yeah, well, speaking of tables, uh, I in terms of uh, board games, I have managed to finally finish a legacy game. Oh, hey, uh, I, I think I, I, I did beat Pandemic You're one Legacy of five Season people. One a while back, <laughs> but I had to like solo the second half of that to ever make it happen. But so this was uh, my city, the Reiner Knizia oh, yeah. uh, tile laying game, and right, it, that's it, Polyominoes it, too, right? Yes, yep. yeah. So it basically, each player has a a, a map. Of a, a town, so you have, you have a, a, a grid, a, a square grid map, and you you're drawing a, a deck of cards that each card will show a polynomial, the uh, poly polynomial, poly, something like that. <laughs> one, yeah. you know, one of those one of those words. <laughs> you, you tetra shapes. <laughs> uh, you drawing cards. Each one has one of those. So each player is in placing that tile into their city and scoring points in various ways. So it takes place over twenty four sessions. 24 games and each whereas a lot, a lot of other legacy games have this sort of structure where they'll start out simple and then gradually layer on more and more and more until it's like a really complex game by the end this is quite interesting and in that it comes in sort of waves and it'll, it'll add some mechanics but then take some away and add in new mechanics so it's, it's very much chapter based it's not just this constant ramp of of complexity it's just exploring different paths and options as as you explore this city through time and then the different sort of industrial ages basically very cool now is that a game that you once you finish the last chapter you can keep playing in some way or yeah you can there is like a forever mode but it doesn't really interest us interest us at all to be honest it's like the the, most of the the draw is in seeing what's next like each each sort of instance of the game isn't quite interesting enough to really want multiple plays of it it's, it's more to seeing the evolution of those mechanics is, is really where the, the cleverness lies got it it's the journey that counts it's exactly. like watching a tv season right it's just like you get through it you've had that experience and you move on 
and I can get that game off my uh, off my shelf and make room for you one. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. And and how about uh, let's uh, go back to you, Amanda. Any other games have been tickling your fancy? I uh, took out uh, Boon Lake from the shelf recently uh, quite a few times. And uh, uh, I don't know if either of you have played Boon Lake. It's um, Alexander Fister's latest, I think latest, uh, bigger game. Oh, I, I I'm, I'm familiar with it, but I've not tried it. I am, I am a fan of the Fister, though. It is something. And it's one of those games where like, I had played it a few times, but you know, months apart. And now I played it twice within a week. And it gets a lot better with the second play in a row. It, when you don't have to remember how everything works, <laughs> it gets a lot better. It's one of those things you know, that's not very approachable and so on. Mm. Yeah, but it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, we, we covered Great Western Trail from Fista awesome. a few episodes ago, which, yeah, it, it's a very intimidating game. Uh, I, I had I, I played it years ago, and coming back to it, I just had to completely start from scratch <laughs> and explore like there's so many paths yeah. in the in like the way everything interacts that it takes a while to really to explore what the options are let alone how to optimally <laughs> exploit them yeah. so i imagine mo- most of these games are quite similar <laughs> yeah you have to learn how to fall on your face first when you play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and with every play, it's like the first play, it's a halfway through the game. You're like, oh, I get it. Then the next play, it's forty percent of the way through the game, and then it's thirty. And eventually, you're like, oh, I can get it from about the third round in. I have a strategy, and I feel like I just got to that point now. Um, so that was enjoyable. Um, That's very cool to hear. So it has a lot of legs, a lot of um, you know lasting yeah. power. Oh yeah. Nice. Um, let's let's bounce back to you, Daniel. What other games have been striking your fancy? Uh, I haven't been playing a lot other than what we were discussing <laughs> coming up very shortly here. Uh, the one other video game I've been playing uh, was Immortals Phoenix Rising, and that's immediately after we spent last episode basically criticizing the open the, the Ubisoft open world structure, and then this one popped up on on Game Pass, and I just had to know is, is this one different? And it is it's it is another one of those. It's it's it's, it's like your uh, Assassin's Creed or Far Cry sort of map full of object of, of objectives to go and do do things it's just a list a, a checklist of things to tick off but it's a little more freeform being very much inspired by breath of the wild yeah like it's um, greek, it's greek mythology themed right yes yeah the art of that game i haven't played it myself the art of the game always kind of confused me because it ubisoft had the other you know the assassin's creed and the greek you know classical period and then there's like Kid Icarus, which is kind of like <laughs> Greek mythology. Those are all one game in my mind, and they're clearly not in reality. It's very much that sort of bright colors, uh, sort of Pixar style animation. It's sort of aimed at a slightly younger audience, like sort of teen is the target demographic. But it's got some fun humor in it, dealing with uh, like the way that the, tr- the treatment of the mythology. If you if you know your uh, your ancient Greek uh, characters, uh, and I've, I've only pl- plugged a couple of hours into it. I don't know that I'll continue, but uh, it's it's. It seems fun so far, just exploring uh, and climbing, <laughs> climbing various Greek statues. <laughs> nice. Well, based on the trailer, it looked pretty exciting to me, so I'll probably give it a shot too. Excellent. Did you have anything else on your playlist, Mark? Yeah, just one other game has kind of been dominating my game time. Very stark contrast to Dreamlight Valley is one I've been meaning to try for a while. It's a little title called Vampire Survivor. 
I think it's kind of like a cult hit. You can find it for regularly for three bucks on Steam, and it's free. I think on Xbox Game Pass, but it's basically <laughs> a one stick shooter, which means all you do is you move and it auto attacks. It's a rogue like a rogue light. Uh, kind of like you slay the spire or something like that so you you survive you you collect <laughs> xp you get these power-ups and you kind of stack them on top of each other and then you become more powerful and more powerful and, and stronger monsters come at you and eventually there's like four thousand enemies on screen at once and <laughs> like 500 laser blasts and holy crosses and things flying out of your body and it's absolute ridiculousness (laughs) but very addictive at the same time uh kind of like everything about a game like slay the spire but concentrated down into a kind of um slot machine uh endorphin rush uh so it's (laughs) it's pretty hilarious yeah it plays a little bit like a an idle game that it's largely controlling itself you do move your character around but most like you don't you're not attacking or aiming or anything like that so it's it's fairly hands off most of the draw i feel is in the the weird combinations of the different weapons and items you can get the way they combine in some fun ways basically and exploring those paths you're gradually unlocking new characters new new weapons uh, as you go so I, I i've i've been playing quite a bit of it and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of game there but it is it is addictive nonetheless <laughs> i think it is that just that slot machine feel where you just want to hear it go ding 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 and see the flashing lights <laughs> right i'm just like a toddler in front of it <laughs> and how long is a a, a run I, I mean i don't know if that's the, the term they use but uh, half an hour i think that's fair to say it can go uh, I feel like it can go a long time, like half an hour, an hour. Well, I think in half oh, an really? hour is a hard end. Like with, with regards to how well you're doing, something will happen at half an hour that will end the run, basically. So okay. it's, it's you can you can you can um, schedule yourself half an hour to play, <laughs> basically. Okay. It re- is really nice and bite sized although you always get that temptation to just start just yeah. one more run. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just short enough, but we might talk about that in the future. So I'm happy to leave it there if I can turn myself away to play anything else. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Amanda and Daniel, have you guys been playing anything else we should talk about? No, I think we, I, I'm, I'm covered. Yep, I think I think that's about notes everything for me. I did start Final Fantasy thirteen and then the next day they decided that it's going off Game Pass. So oh, I no. did not continue that. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you just missed the cutoff date. Yeah. So uh, uh yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna go digging in my uh in my storage for my hard copy <laughs> from, from years ago that I never finished. So I'll just uh I'll I'll, I'll leave that one. <laughs> well, I'm just starting to, to play Final Fantasy fourteen, the MMO from from level one, so maybe you can give me a few pointers there. Yeah, I've I've fallen off the wagon there again, but I'm I'm keen to get back. So that's that's I'm looking forward to discussing that in the future. All right, Amanda and Daniel, I think we should talk about the main event. Let's do it. Let's just jump on board. <laughs> Let's yes. do it. As a guest of honor, Amanda, do you want to tell us the name of the game we're going to be talking about tonight? Oh, okay, sure. So tonight we are talking about uh, Russian Railroads, which is a really, really awesome game. It is an awesome game. It's from uh, 2013. Yes, I was designed by Helmut Oli and Leonard Orgler. Uh, published by Hans Im Gluck and Z-Man. Uh, though I'm, I'm sure there, there are multiple publishers, as you'd expect for a European game. 
And yeah. uh, credited artists are Martin Hoffman and Klaus Stefan. And this game has won a bunch of awards. I won't go through them all, but it won at least the Deutsche Spiel Prize in 2014, first place. International Gamers Award multiplayer category, uh, Meeple's Choice Award in 2013 winner, Dice Tower 2013 best strategy game, and has a Spiel des Jahres 2014 recommended label. Ooh. So pretty, okay. you know, pretty high high praise there. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I I missed this game when it first released. I I guess I was not really. I think this is around the time that I moved like to a completely different country and was out of the hobby for a little bit, so it was off my radar completely. Yeah, it, it doesn't re- silly. It really seem like a very flashy game from the outset. But Amanda, why don't you tell us your history with this game? You know, why? What uh, re- kind of relationship do you have? with Sure. It? Um, so, like you said, the game came out in uh, 2013, and that's just when I was getting uh, deeper into uh, strategy game playing the, the the heavier fare. And so it's one of those that uh, uh, when it came out, it was like demoed at my FLGS, and I, I sat down, played it, and uh, then you know when when the rest of my group got up to go do something else, I just sat down with the the next <laughs> yeah. group who would come, and uh, like no, I feel like we you have to leave and go play with something, like let other people try it. Like, no, no, I don't want to. So yeah, it's it's uh, one of those games that I keep on getting back to because it's it's so approachable. It's so simple to get people to sit down, and go look. You place your workers there. You move your stuff, and uh, uh, the the rules are pretty. I find the rules are pretty straightforward. There's not like many exceptions or many uh, uh, tidbits that you have to remember. Oh, this goes like that, and and so it's pretty uh, uh, free flowing. And, and uh, um, it, despite that, I've played this game probably. 20 30 times by now and it, it still gets you know you still see new th- new things happen every game and uh, the the gameplay of it i find hasn't aged much since since then it, it like it, it, it aged well hmm, right it, it's a real fascinating design i was remarking upon it today because i played it quite a lot as well not a lot at the beginning like you daniel but uh, a fair <laughs> amount recently and today you know in 2022 it feels kind of old school but it also kind of feels modern like there's something unique about it that not a lot of games have copied from it that there's some aspects that not a lot of games have done exactly the same way and it does worker placement in a really interesting way so from the fundamentals you know daniel and i often talk about you know like what type of game we're talking about here it's definitely a worker placement game that's kind of at the core of it. You got your little, I don't know what they're called, your meeples. And you place them on a central board, competing with other people who are also taking uh, actions from that central board. At the same time, it's a kind of a, a fairly economic game, as in you're, you're building your, I guess, your progress out. It's sort of a resource management game, too, because you have, um, you have money and you have, uh, I guess, these different track types and you have these factories that you're building out and these locomotives that you're, you're investing in as well. So there's, there's a lot going on there. But I think it's fair to say the worker placement is at the core. Yeah, and, th- and that's a fairly typical worker placement. Like, th- th- we've obviously seen a lot of evolutions and innovations in that 
mechanic in recent years. But this is very much your classic work. Like, there's not really any twists to that side of this game. You you, you put a worker on a space, you get that action. Only one one worker per, per space, or some, sometimes two. But one one player can go to each space, and so it's it's very much standard there. In terms of the actions that you're using those workers for, there's quite a bit of diversity though. I really love worker placement games, by the way. <laughs> it does something that not all worker placement games do, but it lets you have this opportunity cost thing where you can invest two workers or three workers or one worker and a coin to take a more powerful action. Or maybe it's the same effect, but someone can will have to pay more to do it if someone took the the cheaper action away from you beforehand. So there's 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 that variety there, which not all worker placement games have, uh, especially something like you know, I think Agricola only lets you put one farmer down to take any action, regardless of its power. Yeah, there are a couple of, of small twists on that. I, what I like is the the first player. Uh, so in all these, in every worker placement game, is obviously there's the place where you put your worker down, and that's going to give you first player next turn. But here is the added twist that you get to redeploy that worker at the end of the round. I like that too. Yeah, and especially uh, one of the other things that it does that uh, I I think I haven't seen in other games or not any that comes to mind is that you can hire um, engineers throughout the game and then place mm. your workers on them and they're placement spots that are unique to you and so there's the strategy of going for first player and then keeping that spot available so that when you can place at the end of the round you can place on that but i feel like that the one of the things that is interesting about russian Earl is how the order in which you take your actions can be so crucial which also i feel like even if it's not related to the worker placement itself is very heavily affecting it because usually in worker placement it's oh like there's some stronger actions that tend to go first but in this one sometimes you have to uh, extend one round to get an action to set yourself up for your first action the following round kind of thing and um, all that because of the the importance of the order in which you take those actions I was also remarking when I was rereading my notes about how little randomness this game has mm-hmm. as as in probably the thing that does provide the most variety in game to game is those engineers you're talking about Amanda so the game I think is typically seven rounds six for two players or something like that mm-hmm. but so seven rounds and each round a new two engineers are are available sort of to take their actions well only one is available to claim as your very own so one person has to spend coin which is a uh, you know a limited resource you have to have it on hand to to hire the engineer and then once you hire that engineer it becomes yours this kind of acts as a like a game clock right so once those seven are gone that's the end of the game but I think you you know all of the engineers to begin with, right? It's it's yeah. designated at the start. Yeah. So it's randomized, but it's fair to everyone. Well, you know, I guess <laughs> whoever gets first place has a potential advantage. Those but, engineers go fast. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's I think there's these start tokens that let you sort of mitigate a little bit of chance, but um those are fairly minor. Yeah, absolutely. Choosing when to become first player or even second player can have a big impact on what you're going to be able to achieve on the following rounds. Yeah, although all these spaces are pretty specialized, 
like very, very like all, all interacting with different mechanics of the game obviously so it it, is a, it encourages a lot of direct no sorry in, indirect interaction in jostling for these spaces like the, you, there might be one very specific space that you need for your turn uh that if you get blocked then you don't really have many you have to spend more workers or coins or go follow a different strategy altogether so it's, it's, it's really quite cutthroat in in blocking each other off that so you can quite easily get get blocked off from a particular strategy so it's, it's quite interesting how it encourages the how important that first play does become although there is i, I, what, I what i like is that there is a an upside to going last that you if, if you're last you get oh sorry the, the later you are in the turn order you actually get some victory points at the end of the round and so you could definitely do take a strategy where you are go where you go last sort of improvise a little bit more and get some bonus points for it if you're willing to to take the risk there <laughs> We haven't really talked about what the goal of the game is. In, in a very rough sense, for those who haven't played it before, each game, uh, I think of even Ultimate Railroads as well, has multiple sort of tracks. And in the case of Russian Railroads, there's three tracks. It's like St. Petersburg and Moscow and somewhere else. Siberian, Kiev, and St. Petersburg, I think. Right. And they're different yeah. lengths. And you can move basically your lowest unlocked track you must move them first and then the higher value tracks you can advance their i guess their track heads they're called they're these little i-beam shaped meeples you can move forward along those tracks to indicate you know sort of progress you're making along those but you can only score them so far up as you have engine power to kind of reach that spot and there's a, a certain calculation that gets worked out in terms of how valuable each track type is. The colors are a little bit different in the different versions, but there's basically what, like five? Yeah, five, five track colors types? of track in different sort of, and there's yeah. like a hierarchy of what, like the the, the least, the, the lowest one is the, the wooden tracks, and it's worth zero points, but it has to go first before you can start laying down the, the, the bigger and better tracks that actually get you the points. It looks kind of dry and imposing. <laughs> at the very beginning, at least that's how I felt when I first saw the board. It's like oh, I, I don't think I don't think it just looks dry. It is pretty dry. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to be a bit charitable, but you're totally right. It, it looks like um, you know, it looks like an engineer drew this up, which quite possibly they well, did. Sorry, I'm I'm going on a tangent here. One thing that when you talk about the designers, we didn't uh, really address is those two designers, Helmut Oli and uh, Loni Orgler, are very uh well-established 18xx designers oh cool uh and that is as far as i know their only euro style not 18xx scheme and it really I, like it has nothing in common aside from the the train track uh theme uh but it does bring that very mathematical um dryness to it but I mean, if you're if you're looking if you play games to be immersed in a world, that is definitely not going to do it. <laughs> but but it is not. It doesn't feel like a spreadsheet compared to some other uh, games or to an 18xx. It 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 does still play smoothly despite that. I mean, it is it is very much in the school of your your classic beige Euro games. But I, I think it is 
does do a, a fairly good job of being a little intuitive and thematic and yeah. how you, you move that you're literally pushing these tracks along the trail and uh, it's uh, it's quite clever with some some great little graphic design touches i should say like it does it looks very like, beige and sort of engineer diagram as you said mark but it there's it, some great elements to, to help submit to, to make it to make it intuitive like you mentioned the clock with the engineers like each time you remove the an engineer it shows how many turns are left and these little like pieces sort of plugging in to to little alcoves or late over overlays and and some really clever little inter- interface sort of touches <laughs> yeah for sure there's a lot of kind of delicate balancing of theme art ui and I, there are a couple of uh, quibbles I have with it, but it's overall, I think it's remarkably successful at pushing this yeah. theme along. It's a little odd that basically everyone is kind of trying to push these tracks, push these trains along the very same tracks. So all players, all of us say, if we were playing, we would all have a, as each a board that says Trans-Siberian, St. Petersburg, Kiev. And we, we, we aren't like, designated that we have to progress in any specific track it's sort of like a opportunist sort of thing like oh hey he's going this way i better go this way she's going that way i better go this way or i might have to you know counter something you you can't actually block people from making progress but i guess depending on what you know pieces people claim some strategies might no longer be feasible uh, or I, I find that I'm not able to pull off all the strategies I want to from the beginning of the game to, to the very last round. It's it's a real challenge. Yeah, the very specialized worker placement areas really force you to diversify in your strategies. So there's, so there's basically the four tracks. There's, this, there's the three railways, and then there's the industry track, which, function, which functions a little bit differently, but is also a track that you're pushing a, a token along, basically. So there's, there's four. You're probably going to want to choose, say, two of them per game to sort of focus on, one or two, generally, uh, to get a majority of your points. But as you said, it is really going to be an opportunism as to which one you decide to focus on. You might not, depending on where, whether you're first or last, you might not get a choice in that matter. So you you might be forced to take one of these other tracks. But there is some fun, especially in the first couple of games, in exploring those and the different ways mm-hmm. in which they function and score. Yeah, I think if you if folks haven't played uh, Russian Railroad yet, I feel like the best way to describe that part of it is that it is it feels like it probably was the inspiration to something like Gunshot and Clever or any game in that that series. And that you have those different tracks and they often like you, you can't do only one because they're all the, the, the six color dice or there's all of those um all of those various bonuses you can get and, and going up on one will unlock stuff for another and, and you end up focusing on a few things but kind of doing a bit of everything and uh having some enormous turns and other turns <laughs> that sort of set the beat but they, they it's it's a very similar uh feel to it where it's not building up uh, a bunch of resources to turn them in to build a, a house kind of thing but it's still a very similar i'm building up to this big turn eventually uh, uh, feel presented differently i feel this game is interesting because it, it, the scoring happens at the end of each round. So you kind of get like a update on how you're doing. And of course, a lot of people, if they are building up their engine, so to speak, they might not be actually scoring a lot in the first couple of rounds, but they, they might come really hard from behind 
and start scoring the mega points, the Boku points in the last <laughs> three, uh, two or three rounds and come, you know, racing ahead oh, yeah. of another player. So it's, it's remarkable how flexible the, the engine is. And I, I, I say that pun intended, uh, for this, <laughs> for the system. Although I don't know if you could really call it engine building. I suppose if your engineers are, are built, giving you a little yeah. speciality. Certainly investing in, in invest, investing in a particular strategy instead of a bit of a de- delayed gratification in those points and the way they build up over time. Uh, you have to invest in the rail network before you can really start paying off on it. Because like the first couple of rounds, you might be seeing f- five points at the end of the round. But then you really build up steam and uh, so you're laying down the, the, <laughs> nice yeah, the, the higher, the higher <laughs> um, track, tracks and you're getting like 100 points around by the very end. I remember uh, oh, yeah. I, I played the physical game recently for the first time, and it, you get the, the the chits that's like, okay, this is your score plus 100, 200, up to 400 points. Like, okay, a couple of rounds in, that seems awfully ambitious. And then I, I think I ended that game with like 395 points. <laughs> so it really escalates yeah. um, surprisingly fast. Oh, yeah. And and when you, you teach a game to somebody new, it's like, oh, I'm so behind. It's halfway through the game. I'm behind by 40 points and it's 16 <laughs> to 25. And like, oh, no, that doesn't, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> we've, we've hardly begun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. You know, what's remarkable about this game is that from the outset, it doesn't look like it would have a lot of staying power. But especially because the board doesn't doesn't really change. I mean, the order of those engineers differs, but the board never changes. If, if you're variety, playing with the yeah. same number of people, if you're playing the, the Russian railroads, of course, there's different maps now with mm-hmm. ultimate railroads. But if you're playing just base Russian railroads, the tracks never change. It's sort of like a maze how each of these three tracks works because – you you sort of have to unlock this to unlock that. Some people might race to this thing first, and I'm talking about the various different sort of levers that this machine has, right? So the upgraded track types. That's that's just one one area you might want to improve in. The bonus tokens. So those are those little round discs that everyone has access to the same set of what is it, six? Or seven like that, yeah. different bonus tokens, and, and they can unlock them when the time comes. But one of those is access to the, what are they called? The end bonus cards of which, you know, is sort of first come first serve. So those end bonus cards are things that players will then have to race for. And then there's the race just strictly to uh, unlock points. Because as we said, each round you score points at the end of each round. And then there's the, the factories, the industrial track, which is a totally different path. Uh, and then, and then there's the locomotive upgrades. There's a sort of like a inflection point when it makes sense to start to invest in those. It's a real, a really deep system that you can't really say this is objectively the right way to go uh, in your first turns. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I am curious how much replayability is in this one. So I've played it, say, half a dozen times. But other than the engineers, they, not, the options are always the same game by game. Most of the, the variety, I guess, comes in from how direct the – or sorry, indirect, but how, how intense that sort of indirect 
player interaction is and blocking off certain areas and being forced to improvise and, and on the fly and then uh, change your plan. So, I mean, Mandy, you've played this the most. How do you find... Yeah, so... One thing I, I think uh, is is interesting about this game is that despite th- that it's a fairly long game where you're looking at at a full complement of four players, probably over two hours, it is a very tactical game where you're mostly trying to figure out how can I grab my next bonus token or my my uh, to unlock my next uh, quality of of rail or I don't know how they they present the different colors of of tokens. And so that means that it's it's less about a long-term strategy and more about every moment. Mm-hmm. And so that adds a bit of replayability because those moments keep on changing. But one thing I think makes this game, and I've played it uh, almost 30 times now, and, and <laughs> those different maps, that not maps, but like boards that come in the, the different uh, expansions, and now uh, the Ultimate Railroad is sort of a big box version of it. All have a, a, an incredible amount of replayability in them, not just because it's new map, but because it opens up so many different things. So the first expansion was uh, German Railroads, which had a modular board for everyone, where if your tokens reach a certain part of it, you have to add a new tile to cover that part that defines what your bonuses are going to be for that uh, for that track, and those track pieces are uh, unique and so there's sort of a race for them and the odds that you can get the same one two games in a row are incredibly low and then there's the uh, american railroad which adds like a, a a share system which adds a lot of interaction where uh when you go up on tracks you trigger power you trigger um special abilities for everyone who's higher than you on the track and so there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, uh, um different beats that the game is going to hit so adding a new adding a new board makes of course the game a lot more complex but like more than it's a very exponential um, amount of variety i feel like i haven't played a lot of those alternate boards until very recently since uh i primarily play on board game arena they just released ultimate railroads uh, fairly recently but i've i've played most of them i think i played asian railroads the german railroads and uh it's it's very cool you're you're absolutely right amanda how it's it's the sort of the core dna but they inject you know fresh blood there's at least one new mechanism, which is fairly substantial, added to each. And mm-hmm. I think one of them, the I think it might be the Asian Rails, they add like a shared industry track where oh, yeah. you're you're moving along a shared area, which is totally brand new hmm. and a real a real twist on things. So that that definitely will will give you even more you know, dozens of different plays out of that. So if you're loving this game and you, you just haven't pulled the trigger on getting the big box, I think it's it's definitely more of the same, but new ways to play a, an old a game. So it seems to have a lot of value to it. Yeah, I haven't had much of a chance to explore those myself. I'm in a game, like an asynchronous game of German railroads, I think, which has like the split, like one of the trails also splits off entirely, so you can follow one of two paths. Mm, yeah. uh, but I haven't had a chance to, to, to play with those too much, but like, there is a lot of joy in just exploring those those tracks for the f- the first game on each on a new map just exploring the the combos and the ways they interact is, is quite fun. I mean, and that said, the, the worker placement 
sort of mechanics are always the same. Like that board doesn't change as far as I know. It's just the boards are different. So you've, like, you, you, you always have that sort of consistency to rely on with the, the worker placement. And you, you can just explore your own little player board uh, with, with, the, with, the new, with the different expansions. Yeah, it's kind of like a ticket to ride, right? It's like the core mm, mechanism the map. <laughs> never changes, but the but the you know the landscape of what you're playing on changes, and and they always throw throw in one unique rule in there to to yeah. mix it up. Amanda, I'm curious. I don't know if you play with the same group every time, or if even you've played this game recently. But have you ever experienced established opening moves? Like have you have you seen sort of like ah uh, yeah you know Teddy is going to play like this and Bobby is going to play like this or have you ever seen that? So one thing one thing ab- about that I remember I was playing a lot with the same two friends uh, before the pandemic and and we were playing it a bunch and and, and ca- like you said because of the lack of of randomness kind of always having the same uh, actions being focused on and the same abilities that we unlocked on the tracks. And then the last Origins before COVID in 2019, I went to Origins with uh, one of those friends and there was a Russian real world tournament. Uh, and we're like, yeah, why not? We <laughs> went, we signed up, we sat down for a game and we got destroyed the mullet <laughs> and that's when we realized that oh okay all those openings that we all just take for granted are all it, it, like the 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 assumption that oh yeah the, the engineers just sort of affect in the margins was very wrong and we got demolished then COVID happened and I didn't play the game for a long while because also I didn't have a copy and I was waiting for the ultimate railroad to come out. And so uh, when I got my box a few months ago now and started playing it again with my partner, we've been going in all sorts of different directions with it. And it 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 really makes for a more... I, I don't actually think that there is such a set opening for the game. I do think that there's so much variety in those engineers that make a bigger difference than you can expect. That's interesting to hear, especially from, you know, you mentioned you've been playing a lot of two player games. Like you think there'd be more sort of like zero sum with two players, but you haven't found that. No, I haven't. And there's also the, 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 the the tactical nature of the game means that uh, um, if you cannot hit an objective by the end of say round two, then hitting it by the end of round three is not nearly as good because you miss out on that income for one turn. Right. And so sometimes just that variety makes it the ability to hit on certain uh, um, threshold and certain timing means that the difference between hitting it at two and three is huge. And, and so that also throws stuff out for a loop. So no, I'm, I'm, I keep on seeing new things every time we play it. In, in addition to all the new boards, to all the modules and all the the variety and in, 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 um, in the setup, just the, 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 the beats that we had make make it go in a lot of different directions, I find. Yeah, it's funny nice. how you can get into this sort of group think when playing with the same players. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sort of like you, if one player does X and the other player is forced to do Y, and then it's sort of end up in this sort of recursive loop. <laughs> oh, yeah. And as, as a game designer, it, it kind of got me thinking that oh i may i I really have to uh get my playtest groups uh like i really have to get my designs out of my set groups Mm. uh, a lot earlier than i thought and uh you know it cost me a few prototypes and that uh, just (laughs) didn't work outside of my set group 
Right. What is that thing that they say that, you know, when, when a game is launched, the game will be play tested, quote unquote, by more people than in all of the development period put together in the first day, right? Because mm-hmm. it, whether it's video games or board games, it just goes out to hundreds, if not thousands of new, oh, yeah. new people and they're going to find a way to break it. <laughs> oh, sure. yes. That's, that's <laughs> kind of part of the exciting aspect of it too, though. So that's very cool to hear. I will admit. I'm a bit of a sucker for the engineers. I go hard on them. And, you know, I think, hey, I could score the bonus. But the bonus is only mm-hmm. like 40 points or something I like that. Really, yeah. <laughs> it's really not substantial in the grand scheme of things. Can, can I, which brings me to, can, can we do a nitpick <laughs> of oh, this hey, game? Let's do it. One thing that I really dislike in games is those absurd scores where you get you know, you finish a game with some of the expansions. You can go in the Ultimate Railroad. It doesn't only go to four hundred. You get a five to six hundred uh, <laughs> token for your score, and it's like this is a bit ridiculous. And then when they tell you, oh, when you pass at the end of your turn, you get an extra three points if you're a third player. I find that so fiddly for so little. <laughs> Why do you keep on counting three points when the game is going to end the six hundreds? I admit, I probably didn't even know that rule existed because <laughs> I play entirely on BGA, right? Which like, oh, you yeah. know, holds Much my hand famous. like a wee little child and does all the calculation for me. It almost feels like a trap for a new player. Ooh, four points. That sounds great. I'll grab that. Exactly. <laughs> then three rounds later, like, oh no. <laughs> Through the Ages does that, right? With those cards that give you four or five points at the beginning of the game. And it's, it's a total trap because you're going to be scoring in the 200s by the end of it. Yeah. So here's, here's a good question for you, Amanda, as a, as a game designer. There's been some interesting discussions lately around game balance. And a lot of games perhaps put a little too much effort into making sure that everything's balanced. And like you, you end up with a, like everyone ends with like a, r- a range of five points from each other. Like even if like I say a hundred points, we're all like five, like a, a, the, from the highest po- score to the lowest score, it's only like five points difference. Whereas this, you tend to get a pretty vast. A range of points and like so yeah. how does that fit into your into your sort of game design philosophy so so i i, I have a much more uh elaborate uh philosophy on that but <laughs> uh if i could summarize it i would say uh balance schmalance <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there's so th- there's uh, i have an anecdote that the the i have a game that i signed uh, a few years back and we had done so much play this it was the first time i, I co-designed uh and we had play this the the balance of the turn order so much like okay do you give extra resources the first player and so on and we ended up finding that even despite even without giving any gift to people who started later in turn order the win rates were very even and so we signed the game and the publisher took the prototype played this a bunch came back and the first thing they said is you need to rebalance turn order hmm. because players feel like they are disadvantaged when they uh, start later and i said well here's all the stats we took win percentage and so on is that you're not uh answering the question i you're not answering the comment i gave you i'm telling you players feel like they're disadvantaged. <laughs> You're telling me that they're not disadvantaged. That is not the same thing. And the psychology of it, or the psychology of a game where you finish with you know, 400 to 320 <laughs> being so different from a game that you finish with you know, 80 to 69, it's, it's sometimes the, 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 those feelings are off balance with the, 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 the 
it balanced itself with the game. And, and uh, in reality, what I think is we address the psychology a lot more than the math. And that's why we play best amongst other things. And so I feel like a lot of newer designers focus on the math a way too much leading to games that are, like you said, regardless of what you do, you're going to end up with 150 points. And then there's not a lot of uh, path for discovery, but if you focus on ba- on making everyone feel like they have an even uh, feel like they have a chance and not blame the game when they lose, which some people just have thin skin and that's going to happen <laughs> no matter what. But um, but then your balance is achieved whether the game is balanced or not. Yeah, I'm reminded of that uh, episode of The Simpsons where they ask um, they ask everyone what kind of car that they want. In the end, they designed this ridiculous monster that has these huge <laughs> cup holders and separate domes so that you don't have to hear your children yelling. And it, it's just a beast. So you, a long story short is you shouldn't listen to all of the consumer feedback, perhaps, yeah. when designing a product. But uh, yeah, I, I, I can certainly recognize that what people ask for and what they need isn't always the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I imagine like avoiding that feeling bad sensation is quite a tricky thing to avoid in game design. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to nitpick a little bit about this game because, you know, overall, my feelings are positive about it. There's a reason why I played it dozens of times. But there's also a reason why I haven't, I lose most of those times <laughs> is um, virtual track spaces have you heard of this concept it's in the rule book no so what i didn't realize until till until today in the first edition of the rule book it says there are real and virtual tracks wait what yeah no go check it out it's it's in the rule book. I'll, I'll pull up the specific page later but basically i didn't realize that when you're scoring multiple uh, track types so imagine, if you will, on one track, there's three different track types. There's uh, in the base game, I think there's like black, what is it, beige, and gray, or something like that. <laughs> I thought it was that you score one times whatever the value of the track type for every space behind it. And this is not how it works. Oh, yeah. This is my own fault for thinking that way because no one ever taught me this game. I messed around and found out <laughs> I messed around and intuited how to play this game on board game arena. So no, in fact, you don't score whatever the value of the track times every space behind it. You score whatever the value of the track plus any empty spaces behind it until the next type of track. So say there's a different type of track a beige two spaces behind the, the one before it there are two virtual track spaces of the preceding color. Oh, right. So, so yeah, so, e- so each tr- physical track piece you have on the board is basically is representing the head of the track and as yes. if that color was behind it, yes. And there's a yeah, train a- kind of proceeding <laughs> behind yeah. it. Yeah, well, when you explain it like that, it is very confusing. And that, I, I think mm. you're right. That is how they explain it in the rule book. I like to, to imagine it like you are – it's different stages of building the, your track. So the first level is like digging up and then it's – putting the, the the metal rail and then the I don't know in what order they reinforcing build train tracks. I'll be <laughs> yeah exactly and so if you say well your first level is what's dug up well of course what's dug up is only up until you, the the part where you start the building and then the next level of building up so I feel like that that's a, a um, 
I didn't remember that they had uh, framed it that way. But yeah, it's it's a very weird. Again, it's what you get when you have eighteen XX designers uh, <laughs> designing a Euro game. It's explained, and they're used to writing rule books like uh, legal text, and so it's, uh, <laughs> you get weird things like that. Yeah, that is a very weird way to present that rule. It's also just part of the virtue of playing something on BGA, which which yeah. is, I mean, this is this is a great implementation. It takes away all the math considerations you have to do, but at the same time, it can be really hard to internalize exactly why something is working a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I played this for the first time physically this last week. I, was, I borrowed a copy from a friend and. T- teaching that was probably the trickiest part, but but at the same time, when you when you have those vi- those three D physical tracks in front of you, it's much easier to visualize. My other small nitpick, which is fairly hard to avoid, is the graphic design, uh, the iconography, uh, certainly of the base game. I think they made it a little bit better in the newer edition, but not by much. Is it's hard to tell what's going on in every given space, especially when you or have a bonus appearing right on the spot where the I-beam piece should go, and you're overlapping mm-hmm. it. You're not exactly sure what, what the bonus was under there. In BGA, thankfully, you can hover over a space and sort of see the overlay if you're not playing on a mobile device. Desktop, you're fine, but it's it's a little hard and confusing. So I don't know if there's any way around this. Obviously, we play board games, card games, like race for the galaxy so we know our icons but they're certainly not intuitive first time out yeah i think that's, a, that's another thing that plays better in person though the way things sort of plug is like a, the way the overlays work and plugging into spaces and everything i think it's a little more intuitive in person than on bga so there's pros and cons to, to playing it online how about yourself daniel do you did you have any strong uh, detractors any nitpicks for this game no, I mean my main concern. My main concern was just as to how much replayability there would be over time. But Amanda largely uh, waylaid that. No, I'm curious to play the other maps sometime. Yeah, they're pretty mind bending. I mean, they're very new to me, so yeah, I don't know entirely how they work. But it's just kind of like a new new world, <laughs> literally, uh, when you try this different regions board. It's like a different game almost. Yeah. Well, I feel like we've covered some pretty good ground here. I mean, I, I guess I'll just come out and say how, how I feel about the game. It's, it's similar to the last board game we talked about. We talked about Tigers and Euphrates. I think it was the last one. This this game feels like it's it's been around enough, long enough to be called a classic, but it has a lot of lifeblood left in it. It has a lot of design space left in it. I think much more than, say, Tigris and Euphrates, which seems like a bit of a relic. This game seems to be alive and breathing. I didn't know how a core part of the scoring worked until <laughs> this very day of this very recording, after dozens and dozens of times playing this game virtually. But every time I play it, I, I still am sort of fascinated by the possibility of what you can do of how the player actions interact, block each other, and force you to sort of pivot and try something new or implement a different strategy. I think there's a lot of replayability in this, even in the base game of Russian Railroads. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about uh, Amanda's uh, comparison to Gunshot Clever, which I, I've not played, but uh, I, I mean, I've played other Roll and Rights, and it, it is quite an apt comparison in the terms of that so much of this game is basically ticking off these tracks, like as, as if, as in 
like similar to how you would in a, in a roll and write game, like t- ticking off a track sort of left to right, and you get a you, you hit you hit a bonus which lets you unlock a combo on a different track and sort of bouncing back and forth, and that's that's a really great sensation uh, and, and a, a great part of the joy. It's basically like tech trees, like pushing these multiple tech trees at the same time and then comboing off of each other. Uh, so yeah, really really enjoyed that part. Nice, and uh, yourself, Amanda. Yeah, I mean, Russian Railroad is one of my favorite games, and I have played it so much and still would play it anytime someone would suggest it. It is not only a a great game to experience and to explore uh, over repeated play, but I also feel like if there's any um, game designers listening, it is one that has, while not revolutioned anything, it has done a lot of of, uh, interesting things by just presenting the information in a more a different way to the uh, gather resources and spend them to do other stuff to the, the those tropey cliche things that we tend to do in uh, in board games and so um, I would heavily suggest that uh, people uh, dig into it and uh, do a bit of uh, of research and see what they can use uh, from uh, Russian Railroad in their own designs. Speaking of, of presenting information, I think the rule book is also another good example in this. Um, as a final point, in that there's a few touches that I've, I've really enjoyed in this in, in the physical rule book. That it starts out with the uh, basically is giving a one on two page rundown. So here's the basic concepts that you want to internalize before we move on and really get into the nitty gritty of everything else. So it just sets a good sort of baseline understanding and it's like one point halfway through the rules where it says okay let's take a break <laughs> just, just gather our thoughts because <laughs> reading rules is hard so it's, a, it's a, literally a break in the middle of the rule book so there's some really nice touches in there it's intermission <laughs> that's really cool i didn't realize that obviously because i don't read the rules <laughs> i'm a terrible terrible board game player <laughs> but uh still you're right this game is fun um it's got a lot of legs and you know there's so many things we didn't even talk about like how the locomotives are double-sided and they become factories and there's a sort of oh, yeah. balance between which locomotives come off the board and which when you replace them some of them go back and then like the lower value ones uh, locomotives might be like a higher power effect factories at a later phase in the in the game and it's just the interactions are absolutely fascinating and uh, i think masters of this game and you you can master this game (laughs) uh, people who can get that good it's a game that you can truly master but it's it's not too hard that it you can't just have a casual entry into the game too as long as you get trained by by a knowledgeable instructor (laughs) Well, that was great. We covered uh, the gamut. Now, um, if that's all right with you folks, I think we should ask our special guest, Amanda, about your game designs, your game that is published. Tell us something you'd like to promote. Sure. So um, I have my first uh, published game. I uh, uh, self-published last year. It's called With a Smile and a Gun. It is a two-player dice drafting uh, area control game set in a noir uh, reimagining of the prohibition era it is available in some good stores i wouldn't say every good store so that that came out last year and i have another game called mapping the world which is about 
mapping the world uh, during the Age of Discovery. That is going to Kickstarter from uh, Paper Plane Games in theory in next month, so in uh, October 2022. Fingers crossed that we can uh, uh, respect that uh, timeline. And yeah, that's it in terms of uh, uh, the games that are ready to be consumed by the, the public. And aside from that, everything else, I uh, talk about ad nauseum on uh, Twitter, where I spend <laughs> way too much of my time. Uh, you can reach me at the at Amy Designs Games, where I talk about all of this stuff. Because like we said at the beginning, let's bookend this thing. Talking games is almost as fun as playing games. <laughs> <Almost>. right. <laughs> and I heard from a little birdie that you also might enjoy a certain uh, type of cuisine called uh, poutine that uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> French Canada is very famous for. Oh yeah, I mean yes. If I don't, if I don't talk about poutine uh, at least uh, a few times a month, uh, I, I lose my citizenship card. I think. <laughs> I am a. I mean, I'm a, a filthy casual West Coaster, but uh, I just the, I love poutine so much. So does my daughter. I mean, most of what you'd find out here is pro- would probably be considered a perversion. I'm sure. By yeah, I'm, I, 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 I was not going to go there, but yes, probably. Well, at least I see. <laughs> I, I will only accept real uh, squeaky cheese curds. Yes, thank you. And I just found some at Costco, which probably not the best, but it was a massive package. I had to split it up into like three smaller packages. So I'm going to make myself some really luxurious poutine pretty soon. Yes. And if you want to get the most uh, authentic uh, pronunciation of it, you have to put an S between the T and the I. It's putsin. Putsin, yes. <laughs> With a random uh, invisible S in there for no reason whatsoever, because our language is weird. If we ordered that yeah. over here, unfortunately, we'd get a lot of confused looks. <laughs> <laughs> probably, but uh, well, if, if they get confused, it's probably because you don't want to eat their putsin anyway. <laughs> well, it shows the insiders and the outsiders, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a very good French style poutinery. There is one that does it like more authentically. So awesome. uh, yeah, sorry, it's very nice. Amanda, so we heard about your game with a smile in the gun, and I think you have. Um, is it your games label? Is it Subsurface? Subsurface Games, yeah, yes. exactly. It's uh, both my, my publishing label, and it's a uh, game design blog where I post uh way too uh, rarely nowadays but i have to get back on that horse um so yeah if you if people go and and read up the stuff that's gonna motivate me to start posting that's how that works right <laughs> very good and i'm sure people can find their way there from your twitter profile yes it's uh subsurfacegames.ca or just my uh twitter profile awesome well i will ask my friendly local game store to carry uh, with a smile and again of course and i yes. think i saw it's available on tabletopia as well it is on Tabletopia. Uh, the, it's not the full game because we put it on uh, before the Kickstarter campaign uh, finished. And so it's it doesn't have all the stretch goals that we unlocked. Give you a little taste of it, though. But, uh, <laughs> oh, yes. I've been, I've been watching uh, the latest season of Westworld, which is largely set in sort of the Prohibition era. So, yeah, very curious about that. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, some uh, dark uh, uh, Easter eggs in there that uh, I really enjoyed uh, asking our, our uh, artist to slip in. Amanda, will we be seeing you over on the West Coast for Shucks or any uh, events coming soon? Not this year. Um, I uh, just went to two conventions over the last month, so I kind of have uh, my, my feel of uh, getting out of the house for a while. <laughs> but I will uh, most likely try to go next year. You know, I still have cold feet going out of the house. Uh, I haven't gone used to the world yet. 
Oh, I completely understand. Understandable. Well, <laughs> we we'd be more than happy to promote any new projects you have coming up in the future. Or so, just let us know. We'd be happy to let people know. Sure thing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to map map, map makers. Was it? Ma- it's mapping the world. I think it's mapping the world. Yes. It's a very imaginative title. <laughs> I, I do love maps, though. It's like one of my favorite things in uh, in games, like board games and video awesome. games alike. That's the first thing I go to is just exploring the map. <laughs> well, Scoop, we have an exclusive. And even if it's not exclusive, I'll pretend it is. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Amanda. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yes, thanks for joining Same. us. Same. Thank you for having me. Well, should we announce what we're going to cover next episode, Mark? Uh, yeah, I guess that's one thing we should do. <laughs> Tell us, tell us, what are we covering? (laughs) What are we covering next episode? uh, I think we're going to cover Dreamlight Valley, the the Disney video game that came out just this last week. Uh, We've still still poked it enough to see how much there is to discuss there, but I think at the very least it would provide a good lens to to discuss some other similar games, like other farming slash sort of the, the, the animal crossing the, all, the, all those sorts of uh, genres yeah, your stardews and your animal crossings and the, those those games are very popular these days your harvest moons well uh, amanda once again thanks for being on our show we're absolutely pleased to have you as a representative sure. from from montreal and uh, i think you're our first game designer so we're happy to hear your insights uh, from Yay. that aspect <laughs> as well it was a pleasure yeah thank you once again we're finally going to sign off with our non-sign off Thank you, and let's talk again soon. All aboard for games. Let's, we love those <laughs> games. Shoot you. <laughs> <laughs>